set sail. We ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. continuing in our series launch and it's all about you having the best year you can possibly have in your life. I know a lot of you have been with us for the series but if you're just new we welcome you. We want you to know you're loved here, you're wanted here no matter what you believe or where you're from or any other human category. We want you to feel loved and welcomed here. This week we're talking about the impossible situations in our lives. We all face impossible things and especially when we set out to do what's right and to really make a good life in our marriage and with our kids and in our career, we face impossible situations. So my family and I, we just moved here a little over a month ago and I grew up in Michigan, my wife grew up in Ohio, but we have lived out in Arizona and California for a while. So we've gotten kind of soft in the fact that we've gotten used to sun all the time and we're adjusting here. And as part of our adjustment, we had our first house guest, our first unwanted house guest this last week, a raccoon, who was making his home, thankfully, under the deck, not actually in the house, okay? So we got a little trap, and we caught the raccoon. And actually, the day that we caught him, it was a really cold, windy, rainy day. He was out there in the trap. And I know I'm going to sound like a softy here, but I actually started to feel compassion on this little guy because it was rainy and his fur was all wet and it was windy and I just for a couple days I didn't have time to let him go so you guys can judge me all you want for being a softy but I put some Cheerios in there for him just to hold him over I figure a happy raccoon's better than a mad raccoon and I moved him up on under the awning so he's still outside but out of the wind I even put a little towel around the back of his cage I know Laugh away, all right? Now, I'm going to give even more to laugh at, okay, because I'm about to show you a video of me releasing him. And uh, so I watched a bunch of YouTube videos of people releasing raccoons, and a lot of times the raccoons are angry, and they're like biting and scratching, so I geared up. And, you know, <laughs> full confession, when we found out we were moving from the big city out to here, I like right away went on Amazon, and I ordered like, okay, what am I going to need? I need some rain gear. I ordered some like rubber waterproof boots because I figured we're gonna have a basement I grew up in Michigan I know basements always flood at some point so I need to have some boots for the day when the flood comes in the basement so I've got these rubber steel-toed boots and it's like okay this what if this raccoon goes crazy on me okay so you're gonna see I'm kind of geared up and there's still tags on my boots okay <laughs> but uh, here's me and Zoe as we are releasing the raccoon uh, go ahead and check it out and feel free to laugh at me okay buddy Okay, I'm not gonna hurt you. Not gonna hurt you. It's okay. It's okay. 
It's okay. Here we go. Okay, buddy. Time to come out. Come on. Dada, I think he likes his little home. <laughs> yeah, it was the Cheerios, yeah. Okay, buddy. Buddy. Dada, could I just take one little, like, one little, like, fast picture of the forest? Well, the video is getting everything. Yeah, I mean, you can look up at the forest if you want. So, yeah, she's obviously only lived in the city until now. That's the forest. That's the forest to her. She'll learn. Oh, I know. I'll turn it on. Okay, hey, Zoe, put it back on him because I'm going to move it. And he's probably going to move. Hopefully he doesn't get upset. Go ahead. It's open. Go ahead. That can hurt you. There you go. No? Okay. Now, don't worry. Zoe was in the car, okay? Zoe was <laughs> Zoe's filming from in the car. He went right under the car. So, so that was our great adventure. And I had this moment for the couple days where he was trapped in our backyard in the cage, watching him try to get out. I mean, you have to give kudos to raccoons. They're very resourceful. And he literally, every possible thing that he could grab onto or reach around, he tried every way to get out of that cage. The door was shut, and at one time, he was completely pulled himself up on the door, and he had his hand, like, through the side, but he couldn't quite get it open. He was stuck in an impossible situation. And that's what we're talking about today, the times when you know what you should do, I got to get out of this situation or I got to fix my marriage, but you don't have the power to do it. It just seems impossible or it just looks impossible. I was talking with a brother in our church this last week who owns a business and he said, you know, my business has been through lots of seasons and usually as the world changes, I know here's what my employees need, here's what my business needs. He says, right now, I just can't figure out what's happening and what my business needs. He feels, he knows what he needs to do but it looks impossible. You might be in that situation in your marriage. You know your marriage needs a reset or a restoration, but you don't know how you could possibly do it. It looks impossible. If you're a parent, this is pretty much every day of your life, right? <laughs> you know these kids should be respectful and obedient, and I should be raising them to be decent human beings, but almost every day there are moments where you think, man, this just looks impossible. We come to moments of impasse in our marriages, in our relationships, in our careers. Maybe financially you're looking at what you spent on Christmas, and you're thinking, I know I need to pay the credit card off, but this looks impossible. And maybe in a broader sense, financially, you know the choices you need to be making, but you're struggling with the power to make them. I think if we're honest, this is a universal struggle. We all feel it in different areas of our lives. Here's another way to put it. How can you do what's best when it feels impossible? How can you do what's best when you really want to do the best thing for your family, you want to do the best thing for your company or your career or the best thing for your kids or your finances? You really want to but it feels impossible or it seems impossible or you might say it doesn't just feel impossible, it actually is impossible. 
Well, we're going to look today at a group of Christians who wrestled with this same question. In fact, they're the very first Christians. There were 120 of them. And in this story, they were the only Christians in the whole world. 120, so way less than we have in this room. And they were the only Christians in the world. And Jesus came to them. This was after Jesus' resurrection. He said, you're going to start a movement that will spread to the ends of the earth. And they looked at themselves and they thought, okay, we know what we should do, what Jesus said. But that's impossible. There's no way we could possibly do it. And we're going to jump in the story right at the moment where Jesus says, here's how you do impossible things for the good of you and the good of the people around you as a follower of Christ Here's how you can do impossible things. Jesus answers this question in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to zoom in on his answer. And then we're going to dive into the whole text a little bit later. But here's what Jesus says in the beginning of this verse. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says to these Christians, you're going to do this impossible job, but don't go off and try to do it in your own strength or you will fail. He actually tells them in the context of this, wait for my Holy Spirit to come upon you. And when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you're going to have a supernatural power to do impossible things that are spiritually good. You can summarize it this way. God's Spirit empowers me empowers you if you're a follower of Christ God's spirit empowers you to do impossible things I want you to think for a moment if there was one impossible thing you could do for the good of the people you love or for the good of what God wants in your life what would that one thing be is there a habit you would defeat is there a relationship you would restore is there a habit you would cultivate it might be an impossible thing to say no to or an impossible thing to say, yes, I want to live that way. What is the one thing if you actually had a supernatural power source within you to do the right thing, what is the thing that you would use God's power to do? Well, we're going to look into Acts chapter 1. Before we do, I want to explain to you very simply, who is the Holy Spirit? Because I know one of the exciting things right now is there's people in this room, you've just been coming to church for two or three weeks. And you're like, okay, last week we learned about Jesus. It's the power of the cross. Now there's this Holy Spirit. What's going on? Which one is it? Well, it it's, sounds bizarre, but it's both, okay? The Bible describes that there is only one true God. There's only one God. But this God exists in three persons. Now, it's a great mystery. I can't fully explain it. But what I can do is tell you what the Bible says about it. He's one God who exists in three persons. There's God the Father. There's God the Son. That's Jesus Christ who came down among us. God who took on a physical body and cried our tears and felt our pain and took our sin upon him at the cross. And then there's an intangible spirit part of God, God the Holy Spirit. All three of them are distinct persons, but they are together fully the one God. I don't fully understand it. There's different analogies. They all fall short. Some people say, well, it's kind of like an egg. There's one egg. You've got the yolk. You've got the white part. You've got the shell, but it's one egg. Okay, that's not a perfect example, but you kind of get the idea. Other people say, well, it's like a, it's like a, a molecule of water. You know, you've got... You got hydrogen, there's two hydrogens, and there's one oxygen, H2O, and these three parts form one thing. 
all the little pictures we come up with from the physical realm, they're all a little bit imperfect, but you get the idea of even water, if you think about it, you can have water in the gas form, in the, wa in the wet liquid form, or in the solid form as ice, which we dealt with on our way here today, right? And so the idea is there's this one God in three persons. You don't have to fully understand it to live the Christian life. In fact, in our human limitations, we probably never will fully understand it. We just trust what the word of God has said. And way back at the beginning, when God created, it says in Genesis 1 that the spirit of God hovered over the waters at creation. And so the spirit of God makes appearances all through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And the way this worked before Jesus is that most people who followed God, they didn't have the spirit of God living in them. Why not? Because God cannot have sin in his presence. And all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What happened after Jesus died on the cross is that all of us who trust in Christ, we get our sins washed away. And now in God's sight, if you've trusted in Christ, you are without sin. And so now you are a vessel that the very spirit of God can come and live within. So whether you realize it or not, when you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the spirit of God came and actually started to live inside of you. Sounds kind of weird, okay? But it's true. And here's what I want you to know today, or actually what I want you to experience, is that the Holy Spirit is not some weird kooky thing to make you do weird kooky things, okay? The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God, and he does live within you. And as a follower of Christ, you can either go through the whole Christian life unaware of him, or you can go through the Christian life aware that I have the Holy Spirit in me, and when I struggle to do the right thing, I can call on him to help me. And every time I lack power, I can look to the Spirit to empower me. Now, in my life, it, it actually took probably about 15 years where I was reading the Bible, I was learning about the Bible. I had actually been to seminary and knew some of the old ancient languages before I really realized that the Holy Spirit is available to me every day to help me do the right thing. And so I want to share this with you today, and I, my goal for you is, is, is not something that's emotional or dramatic. Sometimes there's some groups of Christians who do weird things and they say, that's the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we see that and we think, ah, oh, that's kind of weird. So we just kind of stay away from it. But the reality is the Holy Spirit, the way he wants to help you in your life is very practical. It's when you need to forgive your spouse, but you can't in your own strength. It's when you need to step out and do something good. In fact, if you've been coming here and you've ever heard from me or someone else on this stage a message that has moved you and has really spoken to you, you know who that was? That was the Holy Spirit speaking and moving. It wasn't me or any other human. And so a lot of Christians, the Spirit is at work in our lives, but we don't realize it. And today what we're going to do is we're just going to zoom in on this piece of the Christian life to say, where I lack power, I can look to the Spirit of God as a power source to empower me in right living and in godly living. So let's look at this example. And again, we're thinking as we go through the text about our impossible situations. This isn't hypothetical. This is about the impossible situation you face where you need wisdom, where you need strength to do the right thing, where you need strength to say no to the wrong thing. And here's our first example. 
When 120 Christians, that first batch of Christians, right after Jesus rose from the dead, when they couldn't change the world, they didn't, they didn't have the power in themselves to launch a viral global movement that would define world history, that would become the center of the human calendar. They didn't have the capacity to do that, but God's Spirit did. God's Spirit could do what they couldn't do. We find the story in Acts chapter 1, and it actually starts in verse 4. Now, there's this little patch of Christian history that maybe you haven't heard of before. After Jesus rose from the dead for about 40 days, Jesus would appear physically in his body to these first 120 Christians. And this was important because these 120 Christians, we got to get ourselves out of America where we have freedom. We got to go way back to where they live. They're living in Jerusalem, which is a very religious city. And we've got to remember what just happened just over a month ago. Well, all the people of Jerusalem got into this, you know, fury and this frenzy. And they all dragged Jesus, their leader, out into the public square they publicly tortured him. They publicly murdered him. And the whole city was chanting, crucify him, crucify him. So humanly speaking, these 120 people who still believe in Jesus, they're afraid for their lives. They're afraid that they're going to get dragged out there just like their leader did. And so they still believe, but humanly speaking, they're very timid. This is not a group that you would expect to start a movement that would change world history. They didn't own a bunch of buildings. They didn't have an army. They didn't have a media empire. They didn't own land. They had no power or resources. And yet Jesus comes to them and he's going to say, you will change the world, but don't go and try to do it in your own strength. Wait for my supernatural power source, the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. You're scared for your lives. You want to just get out of the city, but don't. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father, remember God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. What is this gift? Well, verse 5 tells us. For John baptized with water. Jesus, as an example, was baptized in water, just like many of us were baptized last week. Every one of these Christians had been baptized in water. And now Jesus says, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized in a spiritual way by the Holy Spirit in the unseen realm. And then Jesus is going to describe this further in verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now this word power is one of my favorite words in the original language. It's the word dunamis and it's where we get our word dynamite. This power is not a hypothetical power. This is a power that works in real life. About a year ago I was putting my son Jack to bed and he said one of those little quotes that I'll just never forget. I'm, you know, we're laying there, we're praying, we're talking about his day and he said, Dad, you know, you're a man of words I wonder where this is going. He said, you're a man of words, but I'm a man of action. 
That's what he said. He said, you write books and you talk and you're a man of words, but I'm a man of action. And I thought, oh man, if you only knew, Jack, what it takes to be a dad and all the raccoons I have to release, (laughs) all the diapers I've had to change. But anyhow, it was one of those times your kids just, you know, they, they speak the truth. But did you know that the Christian life is not, it is about words, but it's about action too. And God has for you a life of action. And this word power, it's an action word, and it's a word that works itself out in actions. In other words, God has a power for you in your workplace. He has a power for you in your marriage. He has a power for you in the school that you're at, in the relationships you're in, within yourself, in your own mind, in your own habits. He has a power that actually changes things. In fact, one of my favorite things about this is Jesus makes this prediction. Let's look at the second half of the prediction. He says this, you will receive power and then because of the power, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was like Hendricks County for them. In all Judea, that was like Indianapolis for them. And Samaria, that's like Indiana for them. Actually, it's a little more cross-cultural, okay? It gets to people who look different and sound different. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. Remember, this is these 120 people. They have, they have no business thinking about changing the world. And Jesus says, you are going to go change the world because you're going to be empowered by my spirit. Now, you might be here and maybe you're exploring. You're like, I don't even know if I believe in God yet. I want to challenge you with something that really challenged me back when I was a journalist and an investigative reporter. And it is the historicity, the historic reality of Christianity. Here's what we know is historic fact, whether or not you believe in God. We know that 2,000 years ago, Christianity didn't exist. If, you know, 2,100 years ago. There was no Christianity. That's a fact. No one contests that. We know that today, according to Pew researchers, the the sociologists, the nerds who go out and ask everyone in the world, what's your religion? What do you believe? We know that today, one out of every three people in the world says, I'm a Christian. They all interpret it a little bit differently, but one out of three people in the world, 2.2 billion people in the world today say, I'm a Christian. That is the largest movement in all of human history. There are more Christians than Muslims, more Christians than Hindu, more Christians than atheists by a long shot. It is the largest social movement in all of human history. And it is a movement that you can trace back through history factually. And you can see that 1900 years ago, there was just a couple hundred. And somehow, it has now blossomed and bloomed to overtake nations, civilizations, world history. Think about this. Alexander the Great said he was going to conquer the world, but he didn't. Napoleon said he was going to conquer the world, but he didn't. The Soviet Union said they were going to conquer the world, but they didn't. Nazi Japan, Imperial Germany, there have been countless civilizations and dictators and nations and empires that said, we're going to spread to the ends of the earth and all of them collapse. And then you get this guy who never owns a building, never has an army, Never has any political power. And he says, my movement's going to spread to the ends of the earth. And whether or not you even believe in God, the fact is that his movement has. The fact is that one out of three people in the world today say I'm a Christian. And for me, these were the things as a journalist, as a reporter, that it's like, that's interesting. That's notable. Now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we are Christians. It's a great opportunity for us to say, 
what was the power source? Because you know what? I wanna be part of a movement in my life and I want my kids to be part of a movement where we're not just some religious organization playing games. I wanna be something, part of something that's alive and breathing and changing lives and changing the world to make it a better place. I wanna be part of something like this. And God says, it's the power that comes from the Holy Spirit that enabled 120 people who were afraid for their lives to be changed from the inside out and change the world around them. What I love about this is not long after Jesus makes this prediction, the society started to change in Jerusalem because people were changing. You see, people are how God changes the world. It's through us. And God starts to change individuals and then families and started to change society. He started to change cities and it started to cause revolutions. It started to raise people from the dead spiritually. In fact, the Roman Empire, if you look back at history, the Roman Empire at this time hated Christians. Well, there were only 120 of them here, but as they start to grow into a few thousand and then 10,000 and then as they get bigger, the Roman Empire names Christians as pretty much enemy of the state, tries to snuff this movement out. And we know that Christians were fed to lions in Colosseums and everyone would watch and cheer while the Christians were fed to lions. We have non-Christian writers who write about Nero, an emperor in Rome, who for fun at his dinner parties, he would round up Christians who'd been arrested. He would impale them on these giant stakes in his garden. And outside at night, they would light the Christians on fire for entertainment. And yet within about 200 years, the Roman Empire would become Christianized. And 50 years later, every Roman building would have a cross on the top of it. How did that happen? It happened because Jesus made this prediction and this prediction came true. And the same Holy Spirit who worked then is at work now. In fact, just a couple years after this prediction, there was a Middle Eastern terrorist who saw it as his calling from God. He had a false idea of God like some people in the world have today. He believed it was his calling from God to go around and kill Christians. He would drag them out of their houses and they would physically stone them, as still happens in the Middle East today. And he believed this guy so hated Christians, but you know what happened? He was transformed through believers and through an encounter with God. He became an activated Christian. He became a zealous Christian. He ended up writing most of the New Testament. His name's Paul the Apostle. His name was Saul before. And he's this picture that no matter how evil you might be or no matter what evil you've encountered in your life, God's a God who takes anyone who has a willing heart and transforms them. And Paul the Apostle literally transformed. Why? Because of this power, this same power that changed the world. And did you know that this power is today transforming people in Syria? We get stories from our missionary partners who are in the Middle East about Muslim clerics who see it as their job to kill Christians who are having dreams about Jesus and are professing their faith in Jesus. Did you know this power is at work today in India? And this power is at work today in Indianapolis. This power is at work today in this very room. The very spirit of God 
who worked in the early church, he is alive today and he's moving today. And we as a church and as individuals, we can be people who stifle that and ignore it. Or we can be people who say, God, we want to fan your spirit into flame. We want to be part of something supernatural and powerful and real. Now we know, by the way, the spirit of God will never contradict the word of God. Because the Spirit of God is part of God himself and the Word of God reveals the heart of God. So this is a safety net when you get into, I want to be led by the Spirit. I want to have a spiritually powerful life. One of the safety nets, one of the guardrails is you know the Spirit of God is never going to contradict the Word of God. So even if you're with a group of Christians and they're all really emotional and exciting things are happening, but they start to do something that contradicts the Word of God, you know that's not the Spirit of God. He'll never contradict the word of God. He will always point to Christ as the son of God. And he will always empower us to live out the will of God, which will always be in line with the word of God. Well, this same power is alive today. And here's application number one for you. Application number one is this. God's spirit can do in me what I cannot do for me. God's spirit can do in me what I cannot do for me. In other words, when you know there needs to be a change internally in yourself, God's spirit can do that change in you. I want to show you another fulfillment. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was a prediction. Jesus says, my spirit will come upon these early Christians. They will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We know from history that came true. It's also recorded in scripture. And by the way, if you're really nerdy, if you're really skeptical, we have copies of the book of Acts that we're reading. We have ancient copies that date to about 150 years after Jesus. In other words, we have this prediction written down before it came true. Does that make sense? We have this prediction written down and attributed to Jesus back when Christianity was still tens of thousands of people in the ancient Near East before it spread to the whole world. So you can look for yourself and see it was predicted, now it's true. Okay, but the Bible also talks about this. Let's look at Acts chapter 9, verse 31, where we see Jesus' prediction come true and we see it recorded in Scripture. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And we've, we've moved forward eight chapters and what has happened. The church is exactly where Jesus said it would be. It's now in Judea. That's a real place. You can find it on the map. It's now in Samaria. It has crossed the boundaries of culture. There's now people who look different, sound different, have different beliefs and different culture who've also encountered the power of Jesus' message. And through history, it's continued to show that it applies to all people from all backgrounds. And the church enjoyed a time of peace. Now, I love this verse. The church was strengthened and encouraged by whom? By the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when we're following Christ, we want to look to a human leader. And, And you would think that it would say here, the church was strengthened and encouraged by Peter. I mean, Peter who walked with Jesus, he was leading the church here. You'd think it would be the church was strengthened and encouraged by Peter. Or by John or by James. But instead it tells us the church was strengthened and encouraged not by any human, but by the very presence and power of God, the Holy Spirit. I want to do a little exercise with you guys if you'll put up with me, okay? 
I'm going to say the church was strengthened and encouraged. And then you guys read just these final four words by the Holy Spirit. You guys ready? Okay, this ancient church, 120 people who shouldn't have been able to change the world, they did because they were strengthened and encouraged. Very good, okay. Today, Christians who gather in the name of Jesus and are true to the word of God can be strengthened and encouraged. That's right. These individual Christians, 120 of them who have emotions just like you, who were afraid for their lives, they were transformed to become fearless ambassadors who changed a city and a region and the world because they were strengthened and encouraged. And today, you, where you face an impossible situation, you want to do what's right, but you don't have the strength to, you want to step out and do something big for God, but you don't think you can do it, you can be strengthened and encouraged. All right, you guys have got it. The Holy Spirit can do in us what we cannot do for us. I hear stories about this every week in this church because God is at work here in the present tense right now. And I want to tell you one of those stories. This last week, I got to meet a couple who's been part of this church for about four years. Now, they were not Christians. He was not from a Christian background in particular, the husband of this couple. And I said, how did you guys get involved in the first place? Because they're, they're really active now and God's really doing a lot of neat things through them. I said, how did you guys get into Connection Point in the first place? He said, you know, John, I own a business in town and I wasn't in a place where I thought I needed God. I hadn't hit rock bottom. Financially, I was in good shape. My family was in good shape. I didn't really think I needed God. But I had this employee and their employee was one of you all. And he said this about this employee of his. He said, I actually had to write it down because it was such a cool quote. He said, he had a piece about him that I had to have a piece of. He said, you know, my life was fine. We had, you know, everything seemed fine. But as I got to know this employee, this guy from Connection Point, he had a piece about him that I had to have a piece of. And he described to me that he started to engage with this employee and they'd actually go to a bar together and this employee would start to talk with him about Jesus. And the whole time he's telling me the story, I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit and the way the Spirit of God was working through this brother of ours. Because you see, peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. If you want to go deeper on what we're learning today, uh, I talked two weeks ago about the Life Application Study Bible. The Life Application Study Bible, if you don't have a study Bible yet, grab yourself a copy of one. The Life Application Study Bible has these great study notes. They won't lead you astray, okay? They're, they're well written. And they explain how you apply the Word of God to your life. And if you want to go deeper this week, you can open Acts chapter 1 and just read those study notes. You can do this as a small group. You can do this with your family. Here's a second passage I'll give you if you're hungry. Some of you are hungry, and I like that, okay? Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, I don't have the time to unpack it, but Galatians 5 says, here's the fruit of the Spirit. When you as a Christian start to learn to live a Spirit-filled life, here's what it looks like, and it's not kooky or bizarre. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. And what happens is, as you learn to walk in step with the Spirit, the very Spirit of God is inside of you. He'll convict you of sin. And so the more you learn to walk with the Spirit, the more you're still going to sin, but you can, you can 
confess it right away. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as you walk with the Spirit, when, when you do stumble into sin, the Spirit brings it up right away. And you say, oh, oh, I confess that. And on the positive side, the Spirit starts to fill you with love, joy, peace, patience, etc., that come from God. They're a supernatural peace. So as this guy said, I had this coworker and he had a peace that I'd never seen anyone else have. A light went on in my head. That's the Holy Spirit. That's a Christian who's walking with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is doing in him something that he could never do for him. And the Spirit of God was doing through him something he could never do on his own. And this gentleman explained that this employee of his who was part of our church family, they just started talking about Jesus. And this employee was not pushy, but he was sensitive and he would just bring up questions. Hey, did you ever think about it? Jesus, we know he lived. We know the claims he made. He either had to be crazy or they must have been true. Which one do you think it is? And he'd just plant these little seeds. And then the guy came here to an event. And he described that even at the event, God was working in his heart and all these people came forward and they nailed the thing to a cross and he felt this pressure to do that. He said, I was 99% there. I was pretty sure I believed, but I just wasn't quite over the finish line and I just stayed in my seat. And he said, I felt so lonely. I felt so left out. And then he said, an older man from the church came up and put his arm around me. He just said, if you're not ready, that's okay. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit working through a Christian who's very simply saying, I'm going to show up to serve. And when I show up to serve, I'm just going to be asking God, God, who do you want me to encourage? Who do you want me to strengthen? Who do you want me to serve? Who needs an arm around their shoulder? And as he described how God brought him into relationship with Christ and how his life has transformed, it was just person after person who exhibited the fruits of the Spirit, who was filled with the Spirit, who was strengthening and encouraging others because the Spirit was working through them. And that's application number two. God's Spirit can do through me for others what I could never do in my own strength. For your spouse, for your kids, for your coworkers, for your classmates, God's Spirit can do through you for others what you could never do in your own strength. Now Jesus is our example in the Christian life. He was fully God. He was without sin. So he didn't need to be baptized like we do. But he was baptized anyways as an example for us. And the same is true when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't need the Holy Spirit like we do because he was God. But just like he was publicly baptized, Jesus actually was publicly filled with the Holy Spirit as a picture for us that we will become privately filled with the Holy Spirit when we place our faith in him. This might be something you've never seen in the Bible before. When I stumbled upon it, I was kind of surprised. But here's what we see in God's word. As our model, even Jesus did not live like Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. Now, I've mentioned my, my hope for you is that you're hungry and that you're digging into God's word every week. I've put on your outline four references here because every one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of them within the first three chapters tell us that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and then he started to do his miracles. Now, theologically, we know Jesus was fully God. He didn't need that like we need that. 
but that's in there because it's a reminder for us. You can't live a supernatural life in your own strength, but you can live a supernatural life by the strength of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 puts it this way. It says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Interestingly, whenever the Holy Spirit pops up in Scripture, there's freedom and there's power. The Holy Spirit brings the presence of God and the power of God. You guys remember the story of David and Goliath? David was this little guy, the youngest. He was a shepherd and he, he fights this huge ultimate fighting champion of the world, Goliath. And you know the story. He gets a little rock and a sling and he defeats Goliath. You know, if you study that story, you know what happens about two chapters before David defeats Goliath? We're told in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God came upon David. The Spirit of God brings power. And where you've got a Goliath in your life, where you've got an impossible situation in your life, you want to follow Christ, you want to do the right thing, you have access to the same Spirit of God, the supernatural power source of God. Not to do some bizarre kooky thing, but to do the right thing, to do the good thing, to defeat evil in your life. In fact, look at the rest of this verse, Acts 10.38 says that Jesus went around doing good and healing. That's what the Holy Spirit empowered him to do as an example for us. All, who was he healing and doing good for? People who were under the power of the devil. We don't have time to fully expand this, but do you realize what this is about? This is a power struggle between good and evil. This is a power struggle in the supernatural realm between God and Satan. And when you place your faith in Christ, you get adopted into the family of God. You're now on the side of what is right and eternal and good and pure. But you're living in a world where you're up against a supernatural unseen adversary who does have power. But God has placed in you a greater power. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And you can follow Christ, not as some religious person who's trying to be something you're not, but you can follow Christ as someone who's filled with his very power and spirit to do supernatural good in your marriage, in your workplace, and in your life. And that's application number three. When I cannot... God's spirit can. You might think, John, you forgot to write the word in. That's because it's for you to write your word in. Where is it that you cannot? What's the, what's the sin you want to defeat? What's the relationship you want to restore? What's the good thing you want to do to help those who are enslaved to evil and you really want to make the world a better place? What is it that you want to do what's best for your kids, do what's best for your career, you want to live the new life and you think, I can't. You can write that in this blank. You can personalize that in your heart today. And God's teaching for us is very simply, the power is through the cross. He is one unchanging God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the beauty is that when you placed your faith in Christ, his spirit came to live in you and empower you in that specific situation. So this week when you feel that you can't do the right thing or the smart thing or the good thing, very simple application. This week when you bump up against that impossible, maybe you've got an impossible coworker. We've all had them. Or <laughs> it's just like, I, it's impossible to get along with that person. When you bump up against the impossible this week, look to the Holy Spirit. 
So this is a truth for you. And as a leader, this is a truth for us as a church. If we want to be not just a bunch of people who get in a building and do a religious game, but we want to continue being what we are, which is a supernatural movement that's changing lives. It doesn't happen by me being really smart and coming up with a strategy. It doesn't happen by any human power. It happens by the power of the Spirit. And so how are we launching into this year as a church? Well, we're saying Christ is our leader. We're saying that love is our anthem. We're saying that the unchanging word of God will always be our guide. Last week we learned that the cross will always be the center of what we believe. It's our power source. And from that power source, because of it, we get indwelled with the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live a supernatural life that we could never live in our own strength. Can I pray that for you now? Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, we're all in different places on our journey. Some, some in here had never even heard of the Holy Spirit before. Others of us, we'd read about the Holy Spirit, but we'd never realized it is the power of God in us to do the right thing today. So Lord, what we're praying as a room, you, you say in your word we can quench and stifle the Spirit or we can fan the Spirit into flame. And what we're saying, God, is in line with your word, under submission to you as our leader, Jesus, we want to be a people who fan your spirit into flame. We want to experience your power to change us from the inside out. We want to see your power at work to change marriages, to restore relationships, to free people who are captive by evil and to set them free. So Lord, we pray as a church that we would be a church that fans your spirit into flame. And when each of us show up to serve, serving by leading a small group or serving in Kids City, that this story we heard of this man who was touched by so many people who were spirit-led would be true of us, that we'd be your hands and feet to strengthen and encourage, to pick up the broken and the hurting, to comfort and to point to Christ as the solution for all of our deepest problems. Jesus, live this out in us this week, that when we face the impossible, we'd look to you and to your spirit. We pray it in your name, Jesus.